fear of inequalities arising from globalization. Speaking of the periphery, European politicians have for too long ignored the fears and needs of people living there. When political parties cling to power for too long, they become concerned only with keeping that power. As a result, they become complacent and try to maximize their votes by focusing on the biggest concentrations of potential voters in cities. After all, most politicians already live in big cities anyway. That's where their jobs are. But not everyone's job is in a big city. And this political focus on urban areas has created much inequality across Europe and fueled the rise of a new political cleavage. In political science, we talk about political cleavages as sources of political division, e.g. left versus right. The terms left and right have gained different meanings over the centuries. They originated in the French Revolution, when the Liberal Democrats would sit on the left side of the negotiating table and the Conservative Royalists would sit on the right. Over time, left and right took on the dimension of worker versus owner. In other words, socialists were situated on the left, conservatives on the right, and liberals in the centre, between them. Since then, labour markets have become liberalised and it is not uncommon for people to be employed while running a company and or working on self-employed projects at the same time. If you are simultaneously on all sides, it makes it more difficult to feel represented by a party that claims to only represent one part of you while demonising the other. Socialists in particular have had great difficulties adapting to this new situation and are losing voters in droves across Europe to both green and nationalist parties. Instead of the worker-owner cleavage, we are now faced with a division along the centre-periphery. Across Europe, you can observe election after election being determined by this split, whether it is the EU referendum in the UK of June 2016, the presidential elections in Austria in 2016, the 2017 French presidential elections, or any other election since. The results are always the same. Liberals, pro-EU and pro-globalisation movements are gaining their highest results in large cities. The surrounding areas, as well as small towns and villages, are far more likely to vote for anti-EU, anti-globalisation, populist parties, traditionally on the far left or far right. Mainstream political parties have failed to keep up with the changing times. In the 1980s, Thatcher and Reagan took the world by storm and instilled an unquestionable belief in laissez-faire politics in everyone, even their own opponents. In many European countries, we were faced with a grand coalition between socialists and conservatives who established what political scientists Katz and Mayer described as a system of cartel parties. They focused on retaining their own power and supply of tax income rather than implementing any significant reforms. Whenever a voter would get upset with their inaction, they would blame their coalition partners and ask for more support during the next elections. This worked well for many parties in multiple countries for decades. But eventually, the peripheral population became frustrated enough to vote for their only alternative, the fringe parties usually nationalist in nature. A prime example is Austria, 
where the FPÖ started out as a mixture between nationalist and liberal politicians and emerged as a clearly far-right party under the leadership of Jörg Haider in 1986, with 9.73% of the vote. From 1986 until 1999, the Grand Coalition ruled, and the FPÖ bided its time. In the national elections of 1999, the FPÖ took 26.91%, the exact same number of votes as the Conservative OVP. At this point, the second-placed OVP managed to create a coalition with the FPÖ and oust the victorious socialist SPÖ from power, ending the Grand Coalition. The new nationalist Conservative coalition was short-lived and the FPÖ only gained 10% in the 2002 national elections, although they remained in government until the next elections of 2006, when the Grand Coalition rose again until 2017, when Sebastian Kurz, also UVP, chose to blow it up. He called for new elections and formed a new nationalist conservative government. This coalition, too, was short-lived and the 2019 elections cost the FPÖ 10% of the vote again, although they held on at 16%. Evidently, the people of Austria like to repeat their history. But perhaps they are also just sick and tired of coalitions that promise great reforms and deliver very little. But why are people so desperate for change that they will go looking for it anywhere they can? This is where the centre-periphery cleavage comes in. Globalisation is not some magical money-making machine. It is transforming our societies from the ground up. And mainstream political parties have ignored this very fact since the 1980s. Wealth and resources are not distributed equally in a globalised world. They are concentrated on what we call global cities. Global cities act as hubs for the world economy. They are where our financial control centres are situated, our best universities, our political institutions and multinational company headquarters. Resources are concentrated in global cities and they siphon resources from surrounding areas and regions, including any potential investments. It is those very same surrounding areas and regions that are rising up to contest the political mainstream. People who live in small towns, villages, and sometimes rural areas. For decades, they've had to sit and watch as their once trusted politicians promise them everything and let them down again and again. Schools and hospitals have closed down in their towns while new ones were built in the big global cities. Shops move to the big city because it is more economical. I am often asked why the far right predominantly receives votes from white men. It is very simple. Women see opportunities for an independent career and life in the big cities. They go to universities, which now have a female majority across the EU. Those, primarily but not exclusively men, who don't want this kind of change, stay behind and grow frustrated as their prospects for the future grow dimmer. Even their irrational hatred of foreigners can be explained. It is not just that it is easier to hate someone one considers to be different. As we discussed in the section on migration, we need those migrants to take on both low-level and high-level jobs. 
low-skilled migrants directly compete with the same cohort that feels abandoned in the small towns and villages. Eventually, some of these people might try to make it in the big city too, but with few skills, they end up competing with those low-skilled migrants who are generally cheaper and complain less about their working conditions. At the same time, these low-skilled local citizens see other highly-skilled migrant workers succeeding and earning money at levels they could only dream of. It is very easy to envy them. If a populist comes along and promises to put national citizens first and take care of the source of all their problems, namely globalization, this suddenly sounds like a very attractive proposition. That is why liberals must push back with a positive vision for the future. This vision and this future needs to encompass all citizens, not just the privileged city dwellers, but also those living in rural areas. Globalization is a boon to our economies and our society. Free trade creates new jobs, lowers consumer prices, and, when done right, increases quality standards. But we must actively manage globalization so that no one is left behind. For example, 150 million EU citizens live in border regions. They represent 40% of the EU's territory. Yet we mostly ignore those regions. Interestingly, EU membership has greatly benefited them, as they now tend to have cross-border economic activities. In some cases, it is even faster and easier to get to the nearest hospital by crossing the border. But because we are still different countries, we make the lives of people in those regions more difficult than they have to be. We can reduce the administrative burdens and invest in infrastructure in those regions. Additional growth in border regions could stimulate additional investment in those areas, as well as their surrounds. We must do the same on a European level. There is also inequality between central and peripheral countries in the EU. This includes things like the Dublin asylum system, which burdens countries with sea borders, particularly in the south, and leaves the centre untouched. It is true that Austria, Germany and Sweden took in the majority of refugees in the first years of the crisis, but that is only because we decided to ignore the Dublin system, i.e. the law. The Dublin system, if implemented correctly, would have meant that refugees would have had to stay in the EU country in which they first arrived. There is a reason why certain countries in the EU were hit particularly hard by the Eurozone crisis. It was not just the South, it was peripheral EU countries. Portugal, Spain, Italy, Greece, Cyprus and Ireland. Ireland is a Western country and it has a flexible market, but it was also hit hard because it was on the periphery, where the risks are always higher. This is one of the many reasons why an ever closer EU is a priority for us. The closer our economies and political systems grow, the less vulnerable we will be to external shocks.